The Last Time I Cried. Brought to you by AIA Vitality. So this episode is a little different. It was actually never supposed to be made public. When Alex Johnson and I sat down to do a pilot, I tried to explain what I wanted the show to be. And then as we were talking, Alex asked me, when was the last time I cried? So I answered, the cameras were rolling. Now I'm apprehensive sharing it, but Alex and Campbell Brown and a few others who shared theirs said I should. Then I thought, if I'm asking people to be vulnerable, So should I. So, here's my story. I hope you enjoy it. Hamish, when was the last time you cried? I think it was on the back of getting some news, which was very good, but it had been a big journey. So my wife and I met. 12 months before we got married and she had a big car accident. I knew that she was going to struggle to have kids and that was a decision we made that whatever happened, it would work out whether we did or didn't have kids. So we went and saw the IVF specialist and it was a big process and for 18 months we went through IVF, IVF, IVF and your first egg didn't work and then operations and second egg and third egg did. There was a whole series of complications during the pregnancy and at eight months there ended up being an emergency C-section, but we had this amazing, beautiful, healthy little child who we called Miller. And so as a sort of a naive parent, you sort of think, well, it's all done, we're great now, there's nothing that can happen that will take her away from us. And then we, at the end of that year, she was born in May, and at the end of that year, we decided we'd have a white Christmas. And Soph loved skiing, I'd never had a white Christmas, so we went to the States. And then we came back and I had to do the tennis and we went via Byron Bay, which is where Soph's mum lives, and she decided to stay up there. And I came back down to do the tennis and I just had a heap of missed calls one day from Soph while I was on air and I thought, it's odd because she knows I'm doing the tennis, why would she be calling? And I spoke to her that night and she said, Miller's, something wrong with Miller. It's like, right, she just sort of has these little twitches and then, I can't get her attention for hours. It's like, oh, knowing nothing, I said, oh, it'll be okay. You know, don't worry about it. So the next day she rings back and she said, there's something really wrong. She twitches and then I can't get her to see me at all, hear me at all, understand me at all. It's like, right, well, I think you should get on a plane, come down to Melbourne. So I speak to the guys at seven and they say, you know, don't worry about the tennis for the day, go and sort things out. So we go and see our paediatrician and luckily Soph had sent, taken videos of Miller having these twitches and she shows the paediatrician and the paediatrician's face just sort of went white. And that was the first time I thought, you know. So she dials the number and says, you've got to go to um, rural children's emergency now. It's like, what's going on? She said, I can't tell you. So we get there and there's just a, a fellow comes out and she's 28-year-old junior medical practitioner. She says, I can't tell you anything. All I know is 
the head of neurology is upstairs. I want to take your daughter through. And there's 12 people are going to monitor over the next two hours. It's like, what, what are we doing here? Like, we haven't got any information. They said, I can't tell you anything. Just know that the best minds in Australia are upstairs. So we've gone from snow skiing, surfing, everything's great, healthy eight-year-old, eight-month-old child to I'm really worried. So two hours later, after they've put 37 electrodes on my daughter's head and they've given us no information really other than that people are watching, the door opens and a guy comes in and he looks at me and he says, I'm Jeremy Freeman. Your daughter has West Syndrome. There's a 10% chance she'll die in hospital. There's an 80% chance she'll have brain damage for life. There's a 10% chance she gets through unscathed. It's like, sorry, what was your name? He said, Jeremy Freeman. I'm head of neurology at Royal Children's. I said, what is West Syndrome? He said, oh, it's a very rare disease. One in 2,500 kids get it. But two-thirds of cases, it's a brain cancer, it's a brain tumour, it's a brain lesion. A third of cases, it's none of those, but it's the same outcome. The brain pattern should just do that. Your daughter's brain pattern has gone from doing that to now just being a scrambled mess. She'll either die, she'll have brain damage for life, or we might get lucky. So your whole world just, yeah. I said, so what are we doing here? He said, you've got to ask me questions and I'll tell you the answers and then we'll work it out from there. So after about an hour of chatting, he says, what do you want to do? I said, before we make that decision, what haven't I asked? He said, you haven't asked me if I'm the best in the world at this. I said, hey. He said, it's either me or a guy in Canada and he isn't here. I said, what's your name again? He said, Jeremy Freeman. I said, I picked up Miller. I said, this is Miller Freeman. Save her. So the only options we had was to give her the formulas of a steroid so severe that they don't like giving it to animals. We had to give it orally four times a day, seven o'clock, 11 o'clock, three o'clock, and seven o'clock. And it would either stop within six days, the seizures, which were you know, gonna either kill her or affect her for life, or they wouldn't. So we had a family conference call and I told everyone what was happening. And Gillen said, all right, I'll have someone there at 7, 11, 3 and 7. Because the doctor said, once you give the steroid for the first time, they'll react to it so badly, you won't be able to open her mouth. You just won't be able to pull it apart and give her the steroid. So you're going to have to have help. So the first day, four mils, first time, and then the screaming started. The doctor said, she'll lose her voice within 24 hours from screaming in pain. And then she'll get a, an appetite that's bigger than yours. So you won't recognise her in two weeks, but you've got to go for 31 days on this steroid program. It's like, I'm not going to recognise my daughter. He said, you won't recognise her. She'll swell up. So the first day, we do the, the first batch, and she has five sets of seizures. And the second day, in back in my mind, I'm going, it's got to stop, it's got to stop six days or it'll never stop. Second day, five sets of seizures. Third day, six sets of seizures. Then on the fourth day, and Gillen did the 7am session every day because he'd do it on the way to work. 
and he grabbed Mila and he said, today's the day. She won't, she won't, she won't have a seizure today. Today's the day. And I remember him. So I said, I gave him Miller. I left him on the couch. I went to the kitchen, got the steroid out, putting it into the syringe. And by the time I'd got to Gill, she was having seizures in his arms and he was crying and he said, how can, how can it happen to someone who doesn't deserve it? So, yeah, he's sitting there going, am I going to lose the daughter or not? So it was the fourth day, the fifth day, five sets of seizures. So we get to the sixth day and so and I say, well, you know, what happens if, you know, so... Seven o'clock, Gil's there. No one says anything. Eleven o'clock, no seizures. Three o'clock, seven o'clock. And then we get to putting her to bed and I say nothing to Soph. We get into bed. I said, Soph, just don't say anything. Next day, no seizures. So it's day seven, day eight. And we have to go and see Jeremy Freeman day 14. And we see him and we put the 37 electrodes on again. And I said, how are we going? He said, it's good, but it can click out again. You've got to get to three months. So every day, you know, just looking, going, did she have seizures? Did she have We get through 30 days, stop giving her pregnancy roll, absolutely do not recognise her. My little brother had been away. He comes in to the house. Miller's in the front room playing with another daughter. He says, where's Miller? I said, she's in the front room. He goes, no, no, there's two kids in. Not one of them's Miller. So that's her. Three-month checkup, we go and see... Jeremy Freeman, and he does the scans, does the um, electrodes on the head, brain patterns back to normal. He said there's been one case where a child has lapsed, come back at six months. So the next three months, again, every day seems like a month. You get to the sixth month, check off. We go in and see Jeremy Freeman, and she's got a highlighter in her hand and she's doing different bits and pieces, and he says, can I just have that highlighter? And he hides it a few times and he does a few tests and he says, your daughter is a miracle. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I've just done some cognitive tests that three-year-old children don't pass. And at this point, it's now 15 months. He says, she's through it. She's 10% chance she gets her unscathed. She's the best response I've ever had to this disease. And that's when I started crying and really crying. And it's like, you just don't know when life's going to change, you know. You don't know when what is seemingly a perfect world becomes imperfect. Nor does it, you know, do you know when it's going to become perfect again. So when Jeremy Freeman says she's a miracle, it's like journey's ended. And every time I put her to bed, I think, how lucky you're here. That was the last time I cried. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the difference between, I suppose, that when it goes imperfect to perfect, the, the difference between the crying is, is huge. Yeah, I mean, my daughter says, are you crying happy tears? So at the start, you're crying these emotional distraught, of what am I, I going to lose a child yeah. tears? Yeah. And then, yeah, you cry happy tears. So, you know, on the weekend, brother gets married and I look at my daughter and she's wailing. I thought you'd been stung by a bee because it was out on a lawn. She said, 
I'm crying happy tears. It's so good to see Ben's so happy. You know, there's all these different emotions. But, you know, I'm from a crying family too. Yeah. So I like crying. Absolutely. <laughs> it's raw. It's raw and, you know, I think I used to be scared of crying in front of people. I think it used to be a sign of weakness or it used to be you're not a real man. Yeah, or, stigma associated with it. I don't, and it's funny, things have changed a lot. I think, yeah, we're in an industry where I reckon five years ago people were scared to cry. People were scared to show who they really were. People were scared to show that they were afraid or vulnerable or confused or troubled. I don't reckon that exists so much anymore. You know, I think, I think we're all highly emotional, but we're now much more in touch with our emotions. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's funny, Miller saw some photos of herself the other day. How old is Miller now? She's seven now. She said, why do I have all those things on my head in that photo? It's like, oh, you're, you're sick. She says, but why is it on my head? So we're just talking through it. And she said, does my brain on It's like, it is now. She said, was it? I said, there was some, yeah. Complications. Complications. And then suddenly she said the other day, she said, I'm okay now. It's like, yeah, you're a miracle. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Last Time I Cried, brought to you by AIA Vitality. Really hope you enjoyed it. Just make sure you subscribe to the feed to ensure you don't miss any more great stories. Thank you.